An unexpected surge of icy winter weather hits northern Florida, just as a father and husband mysteriously vanished on a hunting trip. It was freezing. It was just brutally cold, bone chilling. I just thought, OK, well, he'll show up. He was super safety oriented when it came to his hunting. But frigid temperatures hinder search efforts to find him. The weather was quite treacherous at that time with rain, sleet, and high winds. The aerial flights had to be delayed because it wasn't safe to fly. The weather was just almost unbearable. With no clue to his whereabouts, the case goes cold for many years. There was no physical evidence indicating that any foul play had occurred. Until investigators uncover a carefully organized plan for murder. It motivated the investigative team to pull out all the stops. Just 25 miles south of the border with Georgia lies the largest city in the panhandle of Florida, Tallahassee. Even though we're the capital, we are not palm trees and beaches. We are more like South Georgia. Oak trees, moss, that sort of thing. Outside of the city limits is very rural. Lots of woods, lots of water. Lake Seminole is approximately about an hour's drive from Tallahassee, give or take. A large reservoir that borders Florida and Georgia, Lake Seminole, offers all kinds of recreation. It has hunting, fishing, boating, kayaking. We have numerous duck hunters from all around the United States come to Lake Seminole and hunt. This is also due to Tallahassee's subtropical climate. Tallahassee, I often refer to as the armpit of Florida when it comes to weather. During the summer, it is very hot and humid. We have humidity up at 90, 100%, and we do get heat indexes up over 100. But the winters are pretty mild, with average temperatures in the 50s. Snow and ice are rare. Flurries might happen every few years. But in December of 2000, this area of Florida experienced a powerful cold snap that no one had seen in over a decade. Temperatures dip below the freezing mark on nearly half the days, with hard freezes occurring nine times. The wind was fierce, with rain and sleet icing over the area. It was the coldest since the cold wave of 1989. It was just brutally cold. Those bone-chilling colds will come, and then they'll depart. This one didn't. It stayed, and it stayed for probably two weeks. Just hours before the winter cold spell hit, a 31-year-old husband and father vanishes without a trace. Around 3 p.m., the Florida Wildlife Commission gets an alarming call. A man named Warren Merrill says he's concerned about his missing son-in-law, Mike Williams. Mike Williams went on a very early morning duck hunting trip to Lake Seminole. Mike never returned home. He says it was Mike's six-year wedding anniversary with his wife, Denise, and they had plans that evening. 
They were gonna go to bed and breakfast. So he was supposed to be home at noon. Warren says when no one could reach Mike on his cell phone, he went to the lake to look for him. That's when he found Mike's truck and boat trailer, but there was no sign of Mike anywhere. With a brutal cold front quickly approaching, authorities know they need to move fast. All I thought was, this is not good. The survivability of that was, was, was diminishing tick-tock, tick-tock. The more that clock moved, the less opportunity there was to find him. Jerry Michael Mike Williams was born on October 16, 1969, and raised with his big brother Nick in the small town of Bradfordville, Florida. They grew up in a uh, double-wide mobile home, modest means. His father was a uh, bus driver. His mom wanted to stay home and raise Mike and Nick, and she opened a daycare. And hundreds of children have gone through her home and her care. Growing up in such a small town, Mike found ways to entertain himself. He was always outside, climbing trees, you know, making forts with his brother Nick. My dad took him under his wing, taught him how to duck hunt, taught him how to deer hunt. Mike's parents instilled in both their boys the importance of hard work and education. He played football. He also ran track. He was voted best personality in his high school. Everything he did, he did perfectly. Mike soon made fast friends with a football buddy, Brian Winchester. They were typical boys. They were always going to do some kind of hunting event or kneeboarding. In fact, the two loved to go duck hunting on Lake Seminole, about 60 miles northwest of Tallahassee. Mike really admired Brian. His dad was an insurance agent. His dad took care of Brian. Brian had uh, hunting dogs. He had all the uh, boats and the equipment, the finest guns. Mike's goal was to be like Brian Winchester. Then in ninth grade, Brian's girlfriend, Kathy, introduced Mike to a friend of hers, a cheerleader named Denise Merrill. And it was instant attraction. She was tall, beautiful. She was smart. They were the typical high school, little hometown football player and cheerleader. Everywhere they went, you didn't see Mike without Denise or Brian without Kathy and all four of them together. After high school, the group also attended Florida State University, cementing their friendships even more. Then in 1994, after graduation, Brian and Kathy married. And that same year, Mike wasted no time securing his future with Denise. Mike asked Denise to marry him. He said that he'd loved her from the first day he met her, and the wedding was amazing. While Denise worked as an accountant, Mike began working at a large property appraisal company in Tallahassee. Mike was the first person to work every morning. He was the last guy to leave at night. He was making really good money and was able to build Denise's dream home. He absolutely worshiped and loved Denise. Then in 1999, the couple was overjoyed when Denise gave birth to a baby girl named Ansley. Mike was completely devoted to her. He doted on her and was very happy with the fact that he was a father and he wanted more children. When Ansley came around, oh, you got to watch him melt like butter. It was very enjoyable to see him with Ansley. 
Although his life was full, Mike would still sneak in a hunting trip from time to time. That was his outlet from everything. But other than that, it was all geared around providing for Denise and Ansley. Mike just did everything he could to make sure they had a perfect life. But now, that perfect life is shattered when Mike fails to return from an early morning hunting trip at Lake Seminole. The Florida Wildlife Commission immediately notifies local law enforcement. The case was initiated as a missing person case by the Jackson County Sheriff's Office with the assistance of Fish and Wildlife. As the search for Mike begins, an unusual winter weather system blows through northern Florida. It was just brutally cold, bone chilling. The weather was just almost unbearable. Some of the worst search area times that I've ever had on the water was this search. In December 2000, a potent winter cold front is approaching Tallahassee, Florida. A cold front moves through and the temperature is about to drop over 40 degrees. Meanwhile, search efforts are underway to find 31-year-old real estate appraiser Mike Williams after he went duck hunting on Lake Seminole and never returned. from the Fish and Wildlife Commission and Jackson County Sheriff arrive and see several of Mike's family members there. They meet with Mike's father-in-law, Warren Merrill, who found Mike's truck by the boat landing. They came in and talked to Mr. Merrill, talked to some of the family that was on the bank, trying to search for Mike at that time, trying to find him or his vessel. Despite plummeting temperatures, some of Mike's friends arrived to join the search. Mike's best friend was Brian Winchester. His father and a handful of Mike's really close friends will have brought their own boats to look for Mike. The search was in kind of warp speed because those temperatures were gonna go down even colder as this front came in. Mike's wife, Denise, came one time. Mike's mother, Miss Cheryl, pretty much wanted her to stay in Tallahassee and they would report. Searchers spread out from the boat landing on foot and in boats. They could not find him at that point. They were searching the uh, water, they were searching the islands, the grounds around the area. The Fish and Wildlife Commission requests a helicopter and more manpower to help them, knowing every moment counts. One of the things about uh, Lake Seminole is very overgrown and it's a large lake. It's not an area that you can really cover well on a small boat, but using a helicopter or an airplane greatly increases the chance of finding some evidence. But that evening, the weather takes a turn for the worse. A squall line came in with high winds and temperature dropped drastically and people was having to get off the water. Obviously, the aerial flights had to be delayed because it wasn't safe to fly. Weather slowed them down quite a bit because the conditions weren't appropriate for them to be out on boats or in helicopters or airplanes. Unfortunately, the search will have to wait until the weather improves. 
After the rain and winds die down, the search resumes early the next morning, but the weather has taken a bone-chilling turn. When we went out on the 17th, it was freezing weather, down like in 22 degrees. It doesn't often happen like that where there's that big a swing where you go from the 70s down to maybe the 20s. The next morning, it was just brutally cold. In fact, ice has formed on the water around the edges of the lake. The weather got so cold that we were finding baby alligators that didn't know to go to the den, and they were frozen. We would have to take our boat paddle and break the ice to get the trailer to sink down for the boat to unload. It also rained sleep on us, and we had to take cover for that. But we didn't stop the search. We, we wore rain jackets and hoodies and stuff and we, we continued to search the area. If anyone outside in these conditions is not covered up properly, even in temperatures above 40 degrees Fahrenheit, they can develop hypothermia from being cold in rain, sweat, or being in water. Searchers do everything they can to stay warm. The community really took care of us. There was people that brought firewood. We had a drum there with fire in it, kind of stay warm under a tent. Those that were out looking, their hands were really freezing. It was brutal for those that were out on the water. Then Brian Winchester and his father make a startling discovery when they find Mike's empty boat, about 75 yards south of the boat launch. It blew back into some sawgrass, and it made it hard to find because it was camouflaged, and it got embedded by the winds into the grass a few feet. This new discovery makes Mike's disappearance even more worrisome. The boat is in an area of the lake called Stump Field, which is filled with cut-off tree stumps. Maybe he had hit a stump and it threw him out, and he had either drowned or swam off to an island. There was no obvious signs that the boat had suffered any catastrophic collision with anything. The gas tank was full of gas. It hadn't run out or anything. The motor was out of the water and off. It wasn't running. Mike's shotgun was in the sleeve in the boat. Everything was neatly tucked away. Surprisingly, Mike's hunting waders are missing from the boat. They're rubber overalls that hunters wear, but they can be dangerous pieces of hunting equipment because if they are filled with water, they can weigh you down. Could Mike have fallen overboard in his waders and drowned? As the sun rises, and with every break in the weather, they hope an aerial search will spot him. The county had their fixed-wing airplane flying over. FWC had a helicopter flying over and give us spots to check. We had anywhere 10, 12 boats out there. It was a panic search because of the nature of the weather at that point in time and the survivability of it. With the freezing temperatures, the search team believes it's now a recovery not a rescue mission. Darkness came and that was it for the night. Very empty feeling leaving there with no sign of Mike. The search for Mike expands as the unusual freezing conditions endure. It was the coldest December temperature in Tallahassee since 1989. And suspicions grow. There's something wrong here. You just don't not find a body.
after a fierce winter cold front has complicated their search efforts into finding missing duck hunter Mike Williams, the Jefferson County and Florida Fish and Wildlife Authorities believe he most likely had an accident and drowned in his waders in Lake Seminole. With a body of water like Lake Seminole, there could have been fog, rain, wind, and then with a cold front coming through, temperatures dropping below freezing. The chances of anyone surviving for that long would have been slim. But after finding Mike's abandoned truck and boat, they still don't have a body. Early the next morning, the scope of the search expands even further. We were able to take 20-foot PVC pipe poles with a camera attached to it, and we were able to see the bottom. We searched that whole area for several days, and we didn't come up with anything. They brought in some divers that were trained in underwater search, and they said, there's nothing down there. The divers didn't have the proper gear to stay in freezing water for very long at all. Another day passes without finding Mike, dead or alive. It's a very hopeless feeling because you really know that there's no hope of survivability anymore, and it's just really sad. The next day, on top of these frigid temperatures, there is even a trace of snow, the first since 1996. Temperatures drop below freezing for two more days with still no signs of Mike. The lack of a body is puzzling for the search team. Lake Seminole does have a history of drownings from boating accidents, but he was the only body out of all the drownings that never surfaced. As far as the hunting aspects, most of our hunters are very safe hunters, and we just are very careful, and we usually don't go to those areas by ourselves. There's something wrong here. You just don't not find a body. Authorities consider another possibility. Brian Winchester said Fish and Wildlife thinks that the alligator has attacked Mike in the water and has put him in a den and used that for a food source. We certainly looked at the information that they had compiled regarding the alligator theory and consulted with the experts, but there were no body parts or human remains that were located in the area or in the areas that alligators would nest. Meanwhile, the cold weather isn't letting up. These cold temperatures persisted for almost two weeks. On December 31st, it dipped down to 18 degrees, the coldest December temperature Tallahassee has had since 1989. As time passes, authorities start to scale back their search, especially with hard freezes on 10 of the first 11 days of January 2001. We continued the search for 44 days. We didn't want to give up. The family didn't want to give up. We went back and forth over the same area numerous times. But with no signs of Mike anywhere, they finally call off the search. His family is devastated. I thought it was just really weird that there was no evidence, no sign of him at all. And then you start questioning, okay, well, where is he? Where could he be? Many of Mike's friends and family believe there's something suspicious about his disappearance. For one thing, they know Mike was an experienced hunter 
I had seen him many a times with my dad, you know, learning how to get out of waders in the swimming pool. So I knew that something wasn't right. Despite these lingering doubts, in February 2001, Mike's wife Denise holds a memorial service for him shortly after the official search ends. Soon, a new discovery appears to close the book on Mike's disappearance. There was no evidence of bite marks or blood or anything. But Mike's mom refuses to give up. She felt in her heart that something nefarious had happened. Her campaign is what ultimately led to a major investigation. After 31-year-old Mike Williams went missing, an extreme cold front continued for weeks. Now Florida authorities are under the assumption that he drowned in Lake Seminole and was possibly eaten by alligators. But since his body has never been found, many of his friends and family are becoming increasingly suspicious. Could this be something we should be looking into as foul play, and then you start questioning, where is he? That summer, a new discovery is made on Lake Seminole. I live right near the lake, so my supervisor asked that I continue the search. Every day I go out on the water, even uh, end of June, a fisherman came to my house and said, hey man, I, I found a set of waders floating in that area where the duck hunter's missing. Could they belong to Mike Williams? I went out my patrol boat and with a county deputy investigator, we retrieved a set of waders. After Mike's best friend, Brian Winchester, identifies them as Mike's, the Florida Wildlife Commission sends divers out to the same spot in search of more evidence. And at the bottom of the lake, they find some. The diver brought up a jacket with a flashlight. We found a little panty pack with Mike Williams' license in there that identified that they were his. At first, this seems like further proof that Mike drowned back in December. But a closer inspection leads to more questions than answers. The waders were recovered with no human remains within them, indicating that he possibly didn't drown in the waders as had originally thought. The waders were brought into our laboratory. Never really saw anything unusual about the waders. There was no evidence of bite marks or blood or anything. Which would debunk any type of you know, animal attack or alligator attack. It just didn't make sense. With this new discovery, Mike's widow Denise files a petition with the courts to have her husband declared legally dead in order to receive any benefits. It was really based on the recommendation by her family members. They were concerned as to whether or not she would have enough to sustain herself and her young daughter. On June 29, 2001, the judge grants the petition and declares Mike dead. Mike's mom, Cheryl, is devastated. There was no other case in the state of Florida where someone had been declared dead that soon without a body. As years go by, Mike's family still believes there's something suspicious about his disappearance. Cheryl 
hit up, up quite a crusade. She would routinely appear down at the state capitol with signs saying what happened to Mike Williams. Finally, in 2004, Mike's family gets the attention of the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. They had sent a series of letters to the governor's office and FDLE to ask some other agency to look into some of the circumstances that they felt needed further inquiry. We met with them and sat down with Cheryl Williams, as well as Nick Williams, her surviving son, and listened to the story. Miss Cheryl never did believe that Mike was, in fact, in that lake or that he drowned. Some of the points that Cheryl brought up was obviously a body years later had yet to be recovered, and that was a concern. She also tells them that based on the weather, how unlikely it was that alligators consumed her son. Alligators do not eat in freezing times and during the winter months. Their metabolism is very low, and they pretty much go and hibernate in their caves. But what really intrigues agents is what Cheryl says next about Mike's widow and his best friend. Brian and Denise were dating. Brian got divorced shortly after Mike went missing. She says others suspect they had been having an affair long before Mike disappeared. Eventually, we believe Mike started questioning some things, and there was money missing from the accounts, a good amount, you know, $500 at a time. Even more interesting is when police learned that Mike Williams had three large life insurance policies. There was multiple insurance policies totaling more than a million dollars, and the person who wrote those policies was Brian Winchester, his best friend. Investigators were really starting to scratch their head and think maybe something else happened to Mike. The Florida Department of Law Enforcement tries to speak with Denise and Brian, but surprisingly have some difficulty. Denise never was willing to speak with investigators. She didn't want to speak with us. So the only person that we had some direct contact with was Brian. When detectives questioned Brian, he immediately denies having anything to do with Mike's disappearance. He was supposed to go hunting with his father-in-law that morning, and he had indicated that he overslept. Later that day, he and his wife Kathy went to a family Christmas party. He says as soon as he got the call that Mike was missing, they raced to the lake to help search. Brian's attitude gave pause. He was very short, very curt, very apprehensive. Brian had indicated that he was willing to take a polygraph, but then shortly thereafter declined. Investigators decide to speak with Brian's now ex-wife, Kathy, and she tells them about the morning Mike disappeared. Brian had spent the night on the couch of their home. The next thing she remembered was Brian climbing into bed later that morning possibly around seven o'clock. She indicated that was uncommon, simply because they were sleeping in separate rooms. They also asked about the family Christmas party. One detail that Kathy did give us is Brian was not home when it was time for them to leave. She went by herself and Brian later met her up 
at the function. That raises a question for an investigator is, where were you, Brian? Even though Brian and Denise look suspicious, everything the police has is circumstantial. There was no physical evidence to prove where Mike was or if he was dead or alive. Then in December 2005, five years after Mike went missing, Brian and Denise made their relationship official. Once they got married, it became a challenge because now due to Florida law, spouses can't be forced to testify against their husband or their wife. So it seemed to us as possibly a tactic that they used to protect one another. But investigators' hands are tied. That created a significant pause with the investigation. There was no new information that was being revealed. It became quite frustrating. The case once again grinds to a halt, this time for 10 years, until a shocking act of violence turns the microscope back to Mike Williams' mysterious disappearance. We'd always been told that when something broke, it was gonna be like a roller coaster. After a winter cold front deterred authorities from discovering the fate of Mike Williams, Florida authorities now suspect his wife Denise and best friend Brian Winchester are somehow involved in his disappearance. But they need proof. We didn't have any evidence to take to the courts, so it was frustrating. But almost two decades later, a new criminal act might finally lead investigators to what happened at Lake Seminole on that December morning. Around 1 p.m., Denise Williams suddenly shows up at the Leon County Sheriff's Office with a crazy story. She says that around 9.10 that morning, Brian Winchester kidnapped her at gunpoint. According to Denise, Brian was very distraught over the pending divorce. He was becoming more and more unstable. Denise reported that she entered her car to go to work and Brian was in the back seat and he was armed with a handgun. Brian jumps into the front seat, shoves the pistol in Denise's ribs, and tells her to drive to a remote location. Denise says she was able to pull into a store parking lot. He had kidnapped her to convince her not to get a divorce and held her hostage until she was able to convince him to let her go. It's enough for police to get an arrest warrant. That afternoon, Brian is arrested at his work and charged with kidnapping, domestic aggravated assault, and armed burglary. We were hoping that that was the breaking point in their relationship, that one of them would reveal potentially any information that they had related to Mike's disappearance. But when the FDLE questioned Denise about Mike, she sticks with the same story. So investigators turn to Brian who is now facing up to 20 years in prison. After they put pressure on him, he finally cracks. But there's a catch. His lawyer went to the, the state's attorney's office and they wanted to make a deal. Brian says he'll tell everything they want to know if he's not held accountable. And the state agrees. It was an awful price to pay, but 
I think for all of us being able to sleep at night to know what happened to Mike, it, it was worth it. Brian finally tells authorities what happened that day on the lake. Which were quite shocking and enlightening at the same time. Brian admits he and Denise had been having an affair while they were both married. He says they were both happy with the arrangement until the end of 2000. Mike knew something was up, but he didn't know what was up. So Denise was getting worried that things were going to blow up. Denise made it clear she would never get divorced, primarily because of appearances, but also because she was scared to lose her daughter. The other motive certainly was the financial aspect of the life insurance policy that Mike had on himself. He says that's when the two started coming up with ways to take care of the problem. Brian claimed that he and Denise had concocted a plan in order to kill Mike. Brian says he met up with Mike at Lake Seminole to go duck hunting in the early morning hours of December 16th, 2000. They launched Mike's boat into the water. Brian Winchester was operating the vessel and they went through the stump area and there's a deeper pocket at the western edge of that area that was anywhere from 10 to 12 foot deep. It's the dark of the morning. He talks Mike into putting on his waders. I got him to stand up and I pushed him into the water. He got his jacket off and his waders off and he was in a panic, obviously. I was in a panic, and I ended up shooting him. Where did you shoot him? In the head. He went under the water, and so I pounded him in the water and dragged him to the shoreline. He says then he just pushed the boat back into the lake. He proceeded to drive back to Tallahassee with Mike deceased in the back of his car. Where's the gun at that time? The gun I discarded at the lake before I left the lake. Afterward, Brian says he then needed to create an alibi. His plan was to meet his father-in-law to go duck hunting at a different location so he had an alibi. Because the plan didn't go off, he realized that he was late to meet his father-in-law. So he drove back to his house and climbed back in bed and acted as if he was just getting up. Brian then tells investigators that they couldn't find Mike's body in Lake Seminole because it isn't there. Where did you hide the body? Where is it? It's not going to be recoverable unless I go and point it out to somebody. Police work on building a case against Brian's co-conspirator and lover, Denise Williams, while others gather to find Mike Williams' remains. But will the weather be on their side this time? Obviously, the weather played a factor in the 17 years.
Just after Mike Williams disappeared on Lake Seminole, a rare and brutal cold front caused multiple issues for authorities. The weather hampered the search for them. It was cold, it was wet, it prevented aerial flyovers. They had to take several breaks because of the weather. The wind helped conceal the boat for almost a day, and the rain washed away any evidence on it. There would not be any blood splatter back on the boat. If it was, it got washed away with the rain. But the cold temperatures also disproved some of their theories, making it appear to be foul play. Everyone that's ever been raised anywhere there's alligators, they're not swimming when it's 30 degrees outside. They're not eating. Now, after his confession, investigators have zeroed in on Mike's best friend, Brian Winchester, and Mike's widow, Denise Williams, as the ones responsible. Brian goes with investigators to reveal the location of Mike's remains. He had buried him in an area by a lake called Car Lake. He buried Mike's body in a shallow grave and covered it with a blue tarp. But the elements have changed the terrain drastically. It was even a challenge for Brian to pinpoint where the location was. This area is heavily wooded and gets about 100 days of precipitation a year which can cause massive growth of vegetation and saturation of the land. The location where he believed Mike was buried was now underwater. And so that posed a significant challenge. This time, at least, the weather is working in their favor. It was beautiful. It was October. Sunshine, cool, temperature in the 70s, 60 at night. The FDLE decides to employ other agencies to help with the largest search they've ever undertaken. We called the local public works department to pump the water inside out to actually get down to the soil. We excavated the equivalent of an Olympic-sized swimming pool. On the sixth day, one of the machines snagged something. The heavy machinery hooked a tarp and started pulling a tarp out of the ground. We went from using heavy machinery to hand digging Further excavation of that area did reveal human remains that had the same type of clothing that hunters would wear in the cold weather. We were able to see a wedding ring. We had a pretty good idea who he was by the inscription. After an autopsy is performed, DNA confirms it is Mike Williams. They took x-rays and the skull did reveal a shotgun blast to the head. It corroborated the story that Brian had provided. On December 19th, 2017, Brian Winchester pleads no contest to the kidnapping and assault of Denise Williams. He's sentenced to 20 years in prison and is not charged in the murder of Mike Williams. In May 2018, Denise Williams is arrested for the murder of Mike Williams. Denise was indicted on first-degree murder conspiracy to commit murder, accessory after the fact of first-degree murder. I just cried. Like, you wait so long, and finally, Miss Cheryl is still alive to see all that she did was finally going to matter. At Denise's arraignment, she pleads not guilty. On December 11th, 2018, 
nearly 18 years to the day from when Mike Williams was murdered, Denise's trial begins. Denise Williams showed little emotion Tuesday as prosecutors painted her as a liar and cheater. Brian Winchester is their star witness. Mike worked a lot. We started meeting uh, very regularly and having sex very regularly. Brian explains how over time he and Denise conspired to kill her husband. It would be fair to say that having the attention of being a widow was far better in her mind than being a divorcee. Yes, sir. Um, better to be a rich widow than a, uh, a poor divorcee. He breaks down as he describes pushing his best friend into the water and watching him struggle to get out of his waders. But the defense says that Brian is falsely implicating Denise to save himself. But the jury doesn't buy it. Jury came back 100% unanimous on all three counts. It was just tears, emotions, crying, excitement, exhilaration, all of those wrapped up into one. On February 6, 2019, Denise Williams is sentenced to life in prison. However, in November 2020, her first-degree murder conviction is overturned on appeal, stating there wasn't sufficient evidence that she was a principal. But her conspiracy to commit first-degree murder was upheld, and she is currently serving a 30-year sentence. Although it took nearly two decades, Mike Williams can finally rest in peace, but he is sorely missed. The ripple effect on their family, both sides of the family, it's just a horrible thing. All because two people were so self-centered, they were full of lust, and in my opinion, they allowed Satan to enter their life and heart, and it played out in this murder. In the end, the unpredictable Florida weather set the stage for one of the biggest mysteries the area had ever seen. We work in any kind of climate. The weather can either hamper or help us. So you always have to be aware of the weather. 